How many of you love the book of Proverbs? You should. <laughs> and by the time we're done, hopefully you will want to read it every day. As it was encouraged to me a long while ago to say it's just 31 chapters. There's usually 31 days in a month. Just pick a chapter, read it, and just keep going through it. And it's a great way to um, get to know the book of Proverbs. Well, I, if you see your hand out in front of you there, I'm, I'm asking a very provocative question at the top there. <laughs> Are you homeschooling? You know, this, this may cause some hearts to palpitate and say, oh, no, we're not going to go there, are we? But once you see what the scripture commands us and our responsibility is, you will be a homeschooler when you're done. Now, context is important, and so, so that we are not distracted by the thoughts of controversies of homeschooling versus public school versus private school or whatever school we might be thinking of, we are not discussing reading, writing, and arithmetic. If you're talking about Proverbs, you're talking about wisdom. You're talking about the fear of the Lord. You're talking about what we, everyday life, what we live. Um, let me state this uh, proposition of what our passage leads us to today. It says, mothers and fathers are committed to and, and have the responsibility for teaching and instructing your children to know God and fear God through his special revelation textbook, the Bible. Our next stop on the walk through the, the, the Bible of parenting is Proverbs. So if you want to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And I'm going to focus on Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. But you better have your fingers ready because we're going to go other places in Scripture too. So, um, But to start to get the context, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll go down to verse 9 here. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and an ornament about your neck. In the short time we have, we'll see in this text four characteristics um, of parental teaching instruction. We'll look at the command, the content, the consistency, and the culmination of our teaching and instructing. First of all, the command is to instruct. The command is to instruct and teach. And look at verse 8. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Mothers and fathers, if, there is an if there's instruction and teaching to be listened to, <laughs> that you're that you're giving you that means you are instructing if they're listening and they're not forsaking that that means you're 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 proclaiming something fathers and mothers are a primary means of imparting this training is what he's saying father's instruction has a primary sense of correction by means of instruction In Ephesians 6 4 fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord 
And it says, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. The word teaching here is Torah. The, the, the law means to point or to direct them to this. The, the first part, point there, A, is both parents are responsible to instruct and to teach. I mean, the point here is not to draw a contrast of whether it's instruction or it's, it's teaching, but that both parents have the role and responsibility to teach and instruct. Um, Kitchen, in his um, commentary on Proverbs, says, both parents are God's agents on earth to point their children in the right direction and to train them through correction to stay in that path. The second one there is the children are responsible to listen and not reject the parents' instructions and teaching. It says, it says son there, but really it applies. It's a generic, you'll see that throughout Proverbs. It's talking about the son. It's not just, while it is specifically talking about a son, it's, it's to our children. It's to all of them. The son is re representative of all the children. It says, my son is used 23 times in Proverbs, underscoring the fatherly or parental pleading and listening and taking heed. In this version, he says, hear. It's a listening with the intent to do something with it, to carry it forward. We are commanded to teach and instruct our children, and if we are not talking about academics, then what are we talking about? What is the content? That's the second point here, the content of our instruction. And this is where we probably spend most of our time before we move on, but it's the, the content of, of this instruction. Well, what are we teaching? We have to look back a few verses. We, just going back through verse, looking at the first part of this chapter, this first book, I'm sorry, this first chapter, the first verse, this, this is the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He's, he's going to give the purpose of this book. And he goes, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern, to receive instruction, um, to, to, um, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning and a, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand the proverb of the f and the figures and words and the wise of their, and their riddles. If left to themselves, our children's default behavior is foolishness. Proverbs 22:15. foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Verses one through six is, is driving at wise behavior, wise living, a wise understanding, it's an antidote to foolishness. Foolishness then is, is a rejection of God. It's a hatred of God. It's, it, it rejects wisdom. There is so much to cover on the topic of wisdom, and um, we have a desperate need for it, as, as Proverbs points out. But tonight, I want to focus on the source of that wisdom. A there is our instruction begins with the fear of the Lord. Just look at verse 7. This is after giving this introduction about why this book is written, what it's, being, what it's providing. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And verse 7 is the central theme of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the source of knowledge and wisdom. In chapter 9, uh, um, verse 10 of Proverbs, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In 1533, it says, the, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Both references in our, in our verse here in verse um, 7 highlight the source of wisdom and instruction, and that is the fear 
of the Lord. So in verse 8, parents are instructed to teach their children. The content of our instruction and teaching is clearly the things found in verses 1 through 6. That's what we're teaching. That's what we're training. Living the life and understanding wisdom and knowledge. And in verse 7 is the summary of that, the essential denominator. That is the fear of the Lord. There's one source of wisdom, and that is God. We are to pursue wisdom. We are to search for wisdom. We are to, as it says, as jewels that are lost in the field, you're to pursue them and grab them and, and love them and appreciate them. But if we do not fear the Lord, we cannot truly apply this wisdom. It becomes worldly wisdom. What does it mean then to fear the Lord? What does it mean? How does that really work out? We know it is awe, it's reverence. But we're going to dive into that. The fear of the Lord, and here's a definition that I accumulated from several different um, authors and, and what we see here in Proverbs and other scriptures, is the fear of the Lord is a believer's awestruck and rever- reverential response to our growing understanding and comprehension to the character of God and the presence of God, the works of God, and the word of God. We'll see this tie together in a moment, but let's look at each one of these comprehensions, these understandings that we have of God and what drives our fear of God and what that looks like. First, we have the character of God. Deuteronomy 9.1 says, Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go into um, to the dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you, great, uh, great cities fortified to heaven, a people of great and tall, the sons of Anakim who who you know and of whom you have heard and said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. You think of consuming fire, his justice. You think about the attributes of God, of who God is, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness. And he says, um, he will destroy them and he will subdue them before you. That's his omnipotence is showing is that he is the one that's going to do this so that you may not so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly just as the Lord has spoken to you. And later on down in verse five, it says it, it, it is not for your righteousness or for your uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of your of the weakness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. His justice is also on display. In order to confirm the oath with, with which the Lord swore to your fathers, you're talking about his faithfulness that he gave Abraham. He says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His faithfulness is showing through. So after Moses rehearses the rebellion and stubbornness of Israelites and receives the second set of tablets and um, containing the Ten Commandments, and um, we look at chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, Now Israel... What does the Lord your God require from you? After saying, this is what you did. You rebelled, you sinned, you worshipped other things and other um, idols. He says, what is required of you? But to fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. And he says, but what does that look like? To walk in his, all his ways and love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the, com- the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. 
Behold, the Lord your God belongs in heaven, and I'm and, um, sorry. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Again, his sovereignty. Yet, on, yet your father did the, yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affections to love them. And he chose them, he chose their descendants after them. Even you above all peoples as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords is holy and he's transcendent. The great and mighty and the awesome God and does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. He says, you, and he ends this, ties it at the very end. He starts it out with this, and he ends with this. He says, you shall fear the Lord your God. Again, what does this fear look like? You shall serve him and cling to him and shall swear by his name. He is your, he is your praise. He is your God. Who has done these great and awesome things for you? which your eyes have seen. I mean, he's it, just lifting up. He says, how do, how do you live in the fear of God? Know who God is. Know his attributes. Know who God is. That's how you fear, that's how you begin to fear the Lord. And that's how you gain understanding. The second one is that the presence of God. In 2 Samuel 6, 6 or 7, it says, but when, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, reached down and touched the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen nearly upset. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and God struck him down for, there, for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. And you know, back in Numbers 4, it, it gave clear instructions. You were not to touch the ark. You don't have to touch it. And that's why they created the poles and they were to carry it with poles and not to touch it. There's a lot of other things that were going wrong at this moment. And David was angry at first and said, why? Why did you do this? But then he turned around quickly and said, I, 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 sh I should not be angry. <laughs> the Lord should be angry. And he lived with this. But it was the presence of God was represented by the ark. And he showed irreverence to God. In Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, Can a man hide himself from a hiding place so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? And understanding the presence of God, uh, that he is everywhere, does that help us fear the Lord? It should. What about the works of the Lord, the works of God? Psalm 143.5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the works of your hands. When we talk about God's providence and how his hand moves you see in your own life when things happen that we don't expect. Those, we can talk about the sovereignty of God, the, how God's plans work out. We see the work of God in Exodus 13, 3, it says, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out from the Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand of the Lord brought you out in this place. 
which they were to rehearse that with their families, with their children. They were to explain when they asked, so why did this happen? Why did we do this? They were to rehearse the story of what God did. It wasn't a story of, look how we were a great and mighty army and we, we were able to do all these and conquer these people. No, it was a pointing back at who God is, what God has done, and all of his mighty works. That's what they were to share. That's what they were to teach. That's what they were to instruct. Then we have the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that, that you and your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you all the days of your life, and, the, and your days may be prolonged. Wisdom without fear of the Lord is not God's wisdom. Now also consider Hebrews 4.12. This is for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, and piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when we think about the content of instructing and teaching our children is not about a list of um, rules, a list that we have to abide by. It's not about a, um, a quoting a piece of scripture and saying, oh, don't do this with this. This is what the Bible says. Although, yes, we bring the truth to bear, but the under underlying point is it's with the fear of God. Rather, our instruction is grounded in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge. And the knowledge is what we instruct and teach. We need to instill the fear of the Lord in our children so that they find the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a fertile ground in which our, we plant our instructions. So what does that look like? If you take each one of these, you take the character of God. How do we respond when a child who steals from his sibling, how do we respond to that? That's not nice. Don't do that. He had it first. <laughs> that's, that's not where we want to go. The Bible says to, to not steal and just stop it. Well, does, what does stealing um, tell us about how we view the character of God? Are we satisfied with what God's given us? Has he not provided everything that we need? Are we thinking what is good and right for the other person? For example, in Genesis 3, you can drive to, and that's Eve, and not being satisfied with the commands of God, saying this is what you are to do and not do, and wasn't satisfied with that. And what about the greatest commandment to love one another? Love your brother. Love, your, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that loving your neighbor? So these are the kind of thing, truths that you can bring to bear when you're thinking of how do you bring the character of God into this, into our daily instructions. What about the presence of God? Telling the truth. Honesty. God knows our thoughts and motivations and sees all we do. In Psalm 139, um, 2 and 3, it says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. If a child is fearful, we don't want them to be afraid. What do we, what do we tell them? What can we say? 
While the passage is speaking to Israel, the character of God is clearly demonstrated in Isaiah 41. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not um, anxiously look about you, for I am, I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a consistent character, characteristic of God. What about the works of God? How that spells out. How about observing creation? We can see the works of God's hand in his creation. And Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord himself is God, and he is, um, he is who made us and not, our, not ourselves. When there's a change in plans, I mentioned that before in Psalm 16.9, it says the, the, the mind of man plans his way, but God directs his steps. We're supposed to be going on vacation. We're not going on vacation. We have something else that needs to be done. We need to help a family. We need to do this. It, we just we can't do it right now. The disappointment that's there. How does the sovereignty of God play into that? The, the source is the word of God. It's the source of our authority. The word of God is a source of our authority. And so when we think about the authority, think of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. With that power, do we turn to scripture, turn to the truth, to give them that truth when, when there is instruction to be made? Or is it some pithy knowledge that we might have and we want to impart that to them? Well, it could be piffy knowledge as long as it's, a, it's from the word of God. It's full circle here. The Bible is a source of knowledge of who God is. He's revealed himself to us through that. And what God has done, what he is doing, what he will do. So we can fear him and increase in knowledge and wisdom through his word. Is your instruction and teaching grounded in the fear of the Lord? This presupposes that the father and the mother are instructing and teaching and um, are they themselves living a life that has fear of the Lord. Let's lay aside the teaching and training for the children for a moment and focus on us. Let me ask the question that applies to all of us. What is the strongest influence on the way you live your life on a day-to-day basis? What influences you in the way you think What governs your thoughts and your conduct? What governs the instructions that you give? Is it a list of rules? Is it other things that you may think of? Is it praise of men? Is it a talk radio? Is it pleasure, success, power, respect, comfort? The list is as long as a Google search for brownie recipes, which is about 269 million, just to... (laughs) Now listen as I summarize a list of the book of Proverbs um, alone and of what John Bunyan calls privileges um, from fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which we read. It loves knowledge of God. It discovers the knowledge of God. It hates evil. It hates pride and arrogance. It hates perverted, uh, perverted mouth. It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is knowledge and understanding of the Holy One. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, is our storage, is our strong refuge, 
our strong confidence in God, a fountain of life, avoids the snares of death, instruction for wisdom, keeps away from evil, leads to life, does not envy sinners. The fear of the Lord does not fear man. It's a pretty comprehensive list of how far and how reaching the fear of the Lord is. It's not just, yes, I have a reverential awe, and you should, and we we must. But how that actually works out is every day, and, and the way we think and the way we read the scripture, the way we see life and how we instruct. Our single greatest influence in our thinking and daily conduct is without question our great and awesome, glorious God. Let the fear of the Lord be our beginning of knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that we may be the best instructors and teachers of what wisdom is, where wisdom comes from, and that is the fear of the Lord. We have looked at the command to instruct and and to teach our children. We looked at the content of our instruction and what that's to look like. And now the consistency. This is the action in this verse of hearing by by the son and the instruction by the father and the teaching by the mother and not forsaking by the son are all active, continually ongoing work. It's not when, when things get out of hand, we need to have a talk. <laughs> we, need to, we need to bring this back and put everything back on the rails. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. In chapter 5, Moses just provided Israel with um, God, what God communicated with the Ten Commandments and the statutes and the judgments. In chapter 6, our instructions and what to do with God's commands, instructions, and, and how, they are to, how to make fearing God part of their life. In verse 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you may and your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, of which I commanded you, and all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it might be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. And in verse 7, it says, You shall teach them how? Diligently to your sons and, and shall talk to them when, they, when you sit down in your house when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is obviously a metaphorical, but I would say this is pretty comprehensive <laughs> in its consistency. And verse 2 says, you, Your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God. We have the same objective and need the same zealousness and relentless perspective of training our children in the fear of the Lord as being the base. 
Is this what our instructions frequently look like? Is it relentless? Is it pervasive as this? Is it comprehensive as that? You know, we looked at the, the command, the content, the consistency that's there, but lastly, we'll look at the, the culmination of our instruction. Back in Proverbs 1, look at verse 9. It says, Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and an ornamental ornaments about your neck. It's interesting. It says, Indeed, they are a graceful wreath. What is the they referring to? It's resting back at verse 9. It's the instruction. It's the teaching in verse 8. The wreath and adornments are, are honorable and pleasing and are not just extolling virtues of act, the act of teaching and the act of instructing. It is the hearing and the embracing of that instruction and that teaching and the results of that, the teaching of the Son, by our children understanding and carrying them out. And that's what's praiseworthy. That is what's honorable. There's a sense of outward recognition of high value and esteem and beauty. These adornments are metaphors that outwardly show the inward state. If you look at 1 Peter 3, you see the idea expressed in verses 3 and 4. Um, but I'll start in verse 1 because I think it gives some context. In 1 Peter 3, 1, it says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient in the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. In verse 3, it says, Your adornment must be not be merely external braiding of the hair and wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But in verse 4, it says, But let, the, let it be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable quality of gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. It says it's not about the external. So we're talking about the, the, the picture of this, um, wearing this wreath and this ornaments. It's an outward picture of the blessing and, the, and what's beauty that comes from that, from obeying. But it's about the heart that has changed. This is not external saying that external beauty and adornment is wrong, but it, the, the external beauty must reflect the imperishable qualities of the heart of one who listens and the one who does not reject the mother's teaching. This is precious in the sight of God. Back in Proverbs 1.9, it says, Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and an ornament about your neck. Because the son hears his father's instructions, which means he listens, and, and with the intent to obey and apply what he is instructing and does not forsake or reject his mother's teaching, he embraces it. It is a graceful wreath in his, on his head and an ornament about his neck. There's, a, there's another culmination that happens here. This is if he does listen, he does listen to that instruction and he obeys and he finds wisdom through that. But there's another one that is not worthy of honor and, and not glorifying and that is a son who does not listen to his father, does not listen um, and take heed to his mother's instruction. And that is what he calls a fool, which we found in verse 7. The fool despises, wi um, the fool despises wisdom and instruction. Proverbs has many things to say about a fool. <laughs> um, listen to how one commentator defines, this, uh, defines a fool in Scripture. It says, often in Scripture, a fool is associated with wickedness and a direct denial of God. 
In Psalm 53, the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because God has infinite wisdom, the person who neglects God will naturally miss out on wisdom. He will become a fool. A fool is anyone who does not follow the warnings and commands of God. A fool lacks wisdom, has no concern for others, does not desire to avoid sin. He brags about his sinful actions. The scripture is clear. We are to avoid living as a fool. Rather, we are to fear the Lord, walk in wisdom, and follow his ways. It is foolish for us to not instruct and teach our children to fear the Lord. Love wisdom, love understanding is what we need to teach them. Our children are fools who do not listen to instruction, seek wisdom, and do not fear God. We don't want to be following in that classification as parents or for our children. Now we saw the command to instruct and teach. See the content of our instruction, the consistency that we must have in that instruction, the culmination of we want to be honoring to God and reflect God's glory that we are fearing. Somebody ask, are you a homeschooler? Because it's every part of every day, no matter the subject that's being taught, is it the fear of God, is the root, that's the source. Without that, we don't have God's wisdom, we have man's wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, you are an awesome God. We bow our knee to your authority, your dominion, your power. We fear you, Lord, not a fear of condemnation of us, um, because we do not we do not need to fear that because you have demonstrated your love and mercy and justice in removing all that condemnation through the work of your son and applied Jesus' righteousness to us and have removed that eternal damnation. God, we thank you. May our thoughts of who you are elevate our reverence and our worship of you. Help us Lord, to know you more, increase our understanding of your character, your ways, to hate what you hate, to love what you love, and to put to death sin. God, you have given us uh, um, parents a, a stewardship of these souls. Strengthen us to be the wise instructors and teachers that first fears you above all else. Give us your wisdom to navigate the difficult issues of life and relationships. Lord, we thank you. We pray in your son's name. Amen.